0: Okay, right, Ben, thank you for joining us today. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to read a little bit of your bio to everyone um, now Ben is here. Ben is the Head of Client Solutions with Centres and leads the business function responsible for overseeing Centres client partnerships. An experienced psychologist, he brings a strong background in performance psychology across both high-performance sport and organisational contexts. So we won't um, delay too much further. Um, ben, over to you. Um,
1: Thanks for joining us. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And apologies everyone that uh, yeah, joined the webinar for the technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, a, a circular link that uh, felt like I was in a, uh, a roundabout and just couldn't get out. So, um, nonetheless, we're, uh, we're all here and, and looking forward to jumping into this, uh, this topic. Um, so uh, before we start, I do just to, uh, want to acknowledge the traditional custodians throughout Australia and recognise their connections to land, waters and community. Uh, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we meet today and pay our respects to elders past and present. We extend that respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Uh, we do this because we value Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander's history, culture and knowledge as, uh, as well. In terms of centus for those that aren't familiar uh, with, uh, with Centis, uh, we are a management consulting uh, company in the area um, of safety culture. Uh, and as we'll touch on today, that, that applies to physical, um, psychological and social safety as, uh, as well. Uh, worked with uh, more than 400 organisations, been around 20 years this month actually, uh, and ranging different organisations from mining through to healthcare and everything in between, and, and from Australia. Uh, over to uh, over to Canada, and again everything in between as uh, as well. Part part of um, why we do what we do is is really to change the lives of individuals and organisations for the better. And uh, where all of us at centres um, get really energised by the work we do is where we can support organisations to really create thriving cultures and. As we'll touch on today, that the psychosocial safety space really creates an opportunity for us to, um, yeah, to support organisations to to do that as well. Um, by means of an agenda, uh, there's four areas that we want to touch on here as well, and we'll touch on the invisible nature um, of psychological injuries, uh, yeah, to a uh, to a bit as well. Um, likewise, we'll then jump into um, what we what we call positive psychological safety, and in particular, the opportunity that this presents for organisations as uh, as well. Uh, then we're going to touch on what does it look like to empower your leaders. Um, this topic in itself, um, we could we could have a. Uh, a 50-hour webinar uh, on just about, but we're going to touch on some of the key opportunities that organisations need to start looking at, empowering your leaders, and particularly in the psychosocial landscape. Uh, Empowering your leaders is such a critical part of it um, because of the nuances and and the the dynamic nature of what psychosocial safety looks like. Uh, And then we'll look at what positive safety integration looks like. So so what does it look like for an organisation to do this well um, and not just not just be seen to be doing something. What does it look like for an organisation to do uh, to do this well? Um, but in, interested to hear. Uh, we're now sort of a few months on um, from uh, from, and I'm, I'm making a presumption. The slides are following me on here, and we've uh, we've come to a poll here. Um, is uh, particularly interested. we now uh, we're now in July. April is when the new legislative requirements came out interested to hear how, how people responded, how have your organisations responded? Um, I suspect that there's been some some responses, certainly some awareness and interest, um, given your uh, uh, your attendance at, at uh, today's webinar, but there's four options here. Be interested in any thoughts around, you know, we, we don't know where to start or we've only just started. Um, we have done or are doing some risk assessments, but um, from, from that data or from that insight, we're not really sure where to go. Uh, and likewise, we're not sure, uh, or option three, we're not sure how to move beyond this compliance activity, which, which we're seeing a lot from organisations. Uh, and likewise, uh, as a fourth option, uh, we've been here for quite a while. Um, we've only had to make minor tweaks, but we've been preparing for these legislative requirements for, uh, for quite a while uh, as, uh, as well. So I'll give you a moment just to, um, just to respond to that poll, and then yeah, we'll be interested in the insights.
0: Okay, I think we've got most of the responses now, so I'll just put that up.
1: So, um, Cass- I can't it. <laughs>
0: um, Cassie, do you want to? Yeah, re- I go <laughs> Okay, so. Um, 38% have said we don't know where to start, we've only just started, and 45% we have done and are doing the risk assessment but not sure where to go from here. 10% we are not sure how to move beyond this, beyond a compliance activity, and just 7% we have always been solid here and we'll only need to make minor tweaks.
1: Wonderful. So it looks like we have quite, uh, yeah, responses sort of across most categories there. Um, it... it, it uh, it's interesting we see a lot of organizations certainly talking to a lot of organizations that sit in the um in the middle too uh, in particular so uh, we've done risk assessments or where we're trying to move beyond a compliance approach um but we're also seeing a lot of organizations um really just not knowing where to start and you know the data um certainly uh, captures that here as well where organisations going, we know we need to do something, uh, but we just don't know where to start. How do we start doing this? And how, how do we start to make sure that we're doing it well and we're doing it right and not get it wrong as uh, as well? And um, so that, yeah, I, I think those, certainly for in the, in the first two responses, you, you're certainly not alone. And I think the best part um, of your journey so far is you're acknowledging that okay we, we know we need to do something but we're not sure where to start and you're exploring you know webinars like this to start to look at okay well, where where do we start as uh, as well thank you for, for taking the time to uh, to complete that as well uh, so then we um, want to jump into the invisible injury and this is certainly the terminology that's starting to um, get a little bit more traction when we talk about um, psychological injuries um, Interestingly, around psychological is the OHS Act has always made reference to both psychological and physical injuries, and a workplace workplace's obligation to eliminate or minimise these risks to their workforce. Um, however, what we've seen, and I'm sure m- most people here have experienced, is organisations have tended to focus more on the physical safety um, until recently, largely due to the invisible nature uh, or often hidden nature of those psychological and, and social risks as, uh, as well. Very, or, sorry, much easier to see a, a physical injury um, than what it might look like for a psychological injury. And certainly, you know, they differ in a number of ways with respect to symptoms onset, um, diagnosis, treatment, impact um, and, and cost as, uh, as, as well. Uh, likewise, there's a lot more complexities around um, psychological injuries compared to what physical injuries uh, might be as uh, as well. Um, li- likewise, and I think probably the biggest inf- differentiator, and we'll touch on this in a, in a moment, is the experience of um, psychosocial uh, hazards and likewise the risk that follows those is very different for individuals. And so how people experience um, perhaps the impact of those can also be different. Um, so as an example, uh, if someone's working from a height as an example and you know they're working from a height of ten metres, um we know obviously that hazards very, very clear. Uh, we know the risk of that hazard and um, understanding that, we know that you know if someone's to fall from a height of ten meters, we know that the consequence of that is going to be always negative. Um, we know that that's going there's going to be a physical consequence there. and that that's that consequence is going to largely be immediate, and it's going to be pretty much the same for everyone. Uh, you know, and, and whether that's, you know, certainly a serious injury or fatality, but you know, likewise whether it's, uh, you know, sort of sprains and, and the like, there, you know, broken bones and those sorts of things as well. Psychological injuries or psychosocial injuries are a little bit more complex in that um, someone exposed to a psychosocial risk the impact or the consequence of exposure to that risk uh, is different for each individual. For some individuals, it might not be a negative thing, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, Likewise as well is it may not always happen as exposure to that psychosocial uh, risk as well. And the other part as well is is the consequence or the outcomes or the onset of um, symptoms uh, may not be immediate immediate as well. It might be years down, down the track uh, where we start to see the impact of that so it's often this hidden outcome that we can see or hidden nature of these you know psychological and social risks not just the presence of them um, but also the outcome from them as uh, as as well i think what is what this has largely created over the last little while and this is why we think that the legislative um requirements are, are quite a good step in the right, in the right direction. Um, is it often due to the, the invisible or hidden nature of those mental health conditions, those injuries or psychological injuries, the stigma surrounding them and, and leaders and organisations uh, are reluctant to intervene. That, that's where we've seen organisations focus more so on the physical risks and the injuries um, in some areas, at the expense of what's what's quite an escalating area in, in different communities and workplaces as well around the invisible injury, which we'll touch on touch on just now. So to uh, to build upon that uh, in a little bit more detail, uh, we know that psychological health conditions are the fastest rising cause of disability in Australia. Um, you know, for instance, uh, suicide is the most common cause of death uh, for people aged between 15 and 44, and I, that that's really worrying uh, in itself. Um, claims for mental health uh, workers' compensation are increasing around 15 times faster than physical injury claims. Um, around about 1.8 billion paid out by compensation agencies in 2018. Uh, that's that's expected to to rise and is rising rising quite considerably as uh, as well. Yeah, um uh, there's a report recently by PWC actually that, that the cost of untreated mental health problems is predicted to rise to about eighteen point six billion by 2025 so there's a there's a huge um, huge cost in these areas um, both financially but likewise for people themselves as uh, as well often those that that uh, yeah, you're experiencing uh, mental health claims or undergoing mental health claims, um, the cost is four times uh, on average more than physical claims, uh, and likewise, there's often double the time off as well. For someone that's you know experiencing a mental health um, you know, episode or disorder mm-hmm. as a result of workplace stress, as an example, uh, compared to you know a sprained ankle, as an example, just to compare um, two examples there. Um, likewise, there's a, there's a lot of follow-on effects from that as uh, as well. And, and one of the things that we, um, you know, we, we know is that often those psychological challenges can exacerbate physical injuries uh, in themselves as, uh, as well. Interesting that uh, the Black Dog Institute actually, which I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with as well, that, that they found that untreated mental health conditions, to untreated uh, in the workplace can lead to 30% reduction in work performance, um, a 70% increase in accidents and, and uh, a uh, increase in in lost work days as as well. Uh, We actually, uh, through our research, um, with quite a large sample of different organisations, we've actually found that work um, for about two thirds of people, 66% of people, uh, work has a, a negative or a neutral impact on their life outside of work. So what I mean by that is that for two thirds of people, work is not having a positive impact on what. Uh, life looks like outside of work, which uh, that that's that in itself is quite a worrying statistic uh, as well. Some other opportunities here, and we look at you know going from compliance to culture here, and we we look at um, you know the cost and, and part of why we present this data and you know different reports and different uh, forums are providing this data is. Uh, and probably just a side invitation to yourselves is as you make the business case for change to different executives, to different leaders, um, to boards, et cetera, et cetera, uh, different people within those forums are going to be um, are going to be motivated by different metrics uh, or or different insights as uh, as well. So you can see a few here that I'll, I'll touch on uh, just briefly here. Um for example, uh, the first one here is that, yeah, the calculated cost of psychological injury in the workplace, I mean, it can be a good place to start in terms of creating that business case. Um, and once we combine the costs of absenteeism and organisations combine that with the cost of compensation claims, uh, and actually there's a multiplier of uh, between 1.5 to, to 3 by Safe Work Australia to include uh, your indirect costs such as productivity, lost productivity, you productivity, know, hiring and training, Replacing workers and likewise reduced morale, uh, that cost can be quite a high cost uh, as uh, as well. What we actually are inviting these organisations is rather than it being a cost exercise purely, is actually to look at what's well, the return on investment and, and again, different research around and different reports around that are showing that you know for every uh, dollar invested into this space, there's a return of between $2.30 and $5.80, uh, depending on what that, that investment tends to look like as, uh, as well, directly to the bottom line. Um, so not only is this the right thing to do, this is really an opportunity uh, for organisations in terms of uh, doing good business as, uh, as well. I touched on before the the risk of uh, injury and exacerbated severity and duration of recovery for physical safety as uh, as well, and um, you know we those who are experiencing a physical injury and likewise a psychological uh, injury um, that's exacerbated uh, to quite a degree also as uh, as well. Uh, at an organisational level, um, the cost of turnover um, due to poor mental health is, is really high and, and estimated to be uh, about $1.5 uh, per year in Australia. Um, and, and Interestingly, 72% of employees who rate their, their workplaces having a, a, uh, a poor or, or worse psychosocial safety climate are looking for new jobs um, compared to 9% of those that rate their workplaces having an excellent psychosocial Safety climate. So, so the, the impact of turnover often isn't realised by a lot of organisations. And I, I know an organisation I was working with uh, just last week um, is they've gone through some some challenges, which has impacted what psychosocial safety looks like for their people. And, uh, and they've gone from being an employer of choice over a longer period than just the last few months, an employer of choice, to now that their turnover is is uh, they're losing quite a few people over the last few months as uh, as well. The other part of this, and this sort of touches it, is, is there's, you know, all of these things start to combine in terms of, you know, what lost revenue looks like, decreased market value, increased costs, retention rates, recruitment costs. Um, there's a lot of uh, invisible injury here. There's a lot of hidden costs within that as well. All, all of these things are really interesting um, to take into account. and so they help build the business case, um, you know, if, if not the legislative requirements are driving that really and this is the conversation that we're inviting with a lot of our clients um is that there's a, there's a big miss here uh, that organizations um are probably not taking into account um and we're really inviting organizations to look through these things when they're looking at the legislative requirements and, and you know the cost and the like there as well is that organizations actually have an opportunity to uh, see these regulations as an opportunity to enable your, your organisation um, is rather than just, an, you know, an exercise in compliance is to actually use this to really drive cultural change um, and to, to make the organisation more effective and how it engages, you know, with safety systems and procedures and processes in place, but to really create a thriving culture uh, rather than just a compliant culture. Uh, and that's certainly what we're inviting organisations to do and Organisations can do a range of different box tick exercises, which, yeah, I've got sort of a few different schools of thoughts on that, on that where the opportunity is, is for organisations to go, hey, look, um, we are missing the mark uh, in terms of the legislative requirements and we need to do a lot in this space. Let's really make sure we do this well uh, and really see this as an opportunity to create a thriving culture. And uh, certainly, I'm, I'm motivated by working with organisations that they want to do that just as much as uh, as well. I imagine um, most of you, and we, we jump into the new frontier in, in safety um, in terms of uh, just having a look at this slide here, which I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with, uh, and, and I'm sure many people are familiar with the code and psychosocial risks uh, that can create poor uh, health outcomes for, for your employees. Um, probably to recap here is that the psychosocial hazards are anything in the design or, or management of work that increases the risk of psychological harm. Um, there's 14 hazards that relate to demands of role, organisational pressure or factors, um, likewise the social environment and interpersonal uh, relationships as uh, as well. Um, it's not uh, necessarily an exhaustive list. Uh, is there are others, but these are the, the key hazards that uh, that have been identified as uh, as well. Um, what, what we do find, and probably worth calling out at this point, is we do find that a lot of organisations um, tend to use these terms interchangeably with respect to psychosocial hazards and psychosocial risks. Um, they are distinct um, in terms of their potential to cause uh, to cause harm. So as an example, uh, psychosocial hazards, and you can see the definition there, are the sources of potential harm, uh, where psychosocial risks is the, is the probability that harm will occur as a result of exposure to those risks. Um, so, to put that in a very, and actually, the uh, conversation we're in uh, yesterday internally actually is to put this in a uh, simplistic terminology the hazard is a fire. Um, the risk is how close you are to that fire and the likelihood of getting burnt and, and mechanism in, in place to prevent that and, and the consequences of that as, uh, as, as well. Put that in a psychosocial context is a hazard might be unreasonable workloads and excessive work hours. Um, but uh, looking at that around the risk as well, as, you know, what's the risk of experiencing fatigue, burnout, um, et cetera, which then relates in a psychological injury, whether that be... Um, physical symptoms, or whether that be you know, psychological symptoms such as you know, depression or anxiety, as, uh, as well. Probably, uh, probably interested to um, to understand, and you know, these are the fourteen key ones. Um, you know, and different other hazards will sit in amongst these categories as, uh, as well. But probably interested to explore of, of which of these key ones in particular have organisations, or have your organisations, which are the hazards that Seem the most, um, perhaps the most challenging or, or most daunting to uh, to address at the moment.
0: Okay, I put the poll up. Um, so people can see that?
1: Okay.
0: All right. So which ones are, uh, yeah, go. Um, yeah, do that now. All right. So um, high work demands, that's 64% of the uh, people polled, selected that option. Um, low levels of job control, 19%. Lack of role clarity, 19%. Too. <clears throat> Inadequate leader support, 47%. Poor workplace relationships, eleven percent; inappropriate or unreasonable behaviour, nineteen percent; and poor change management, twenty-eight percent. So there you go.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, we're talking about combi- combining platforms here. Cassie's just sending this uh, this through to Microsoft Teams as uh, as as well. So uh, we'll probably get Google Meetings happening somewhere in, in the mix here as well soon, but. Uh, interesting to see the, to the spread and, and not surprised at all by high work demands, um, inadequate leader support uh, and even poor change management in there is particularly because the, le- the leader support and in particular, and we'll touch on the moment, is such an opportunity for organisations um, to address this area as, uh, as, as well. Wonderful. Um, Look, as I touched on before, these regulations really bring about a new um, a new approach for how organisations need to define and manage safety. Um, what we're inviting organisations to look at is not just to treat these separately, is to go, we're going to manage physical safety or physical risk, and then we're going to manage psychosocial like risk. Is to actually look at what does a holistic view look like uh, with respect to incorporating these three areas. So. Um, in terms of redefining safety here is looking at the physical ha- safety so you know the protection of employees from physical hazards um, such as hazardous materials the illness of dangerous machinery psychological uh, you know experience for people in terms of the state of feeling comfortable enough to express own opinions thoughts and ideas without fear of judgment or retribution and trust certainly sits in here as well and then the social, uh, protection of employees from social hazards such as bullying, harassment, discrimination, and other forms of, uh, of abuse as well. Uh, what we call the combination of these things um, is positive safety. Uh, and it's moving safety beyond a narrow focus on the on the absence of harm to a proactive approach to promote well-being and productivity in the workplace. Now, What we've seen, and uh, legislation has helped drive this a little bit, Is we've seen for quite a while in different industries, is the focus is on physical safety. Uh, which was, you know a lot of transformations happened in that space and then we see organizations started to look more so and again we you know the um, Health safety acts is you know the combination of physical and psychological safety and start to combine those two the recent legislations have really helped articulate and psychosocial is not it's been around for quite a while but helped articulate I think for organizations that all three need to be considered, um, and now we're seeing organisations look at the combination, the integration of physical, psychological, and social safety uh, in this lens as uh, as well. And really, you know, how can an organisation can support employees to be the best version of themselves and to thrive, create an environment where people um, can be physically, psychologically, and, and emotionally or, or socially safe uh, to that degree as well. So, the invitation here, and as we'll touch on, is as part of your strategies, the interventions you're looking at, what does it look like to do so across all three? Um, and, you know, we're having a lot of conversations with organizations at the moment of of looking at what is it uh, you know, what does our strategy around physical safety look like and then what does our strategy around psychosocial safety look like and how we understand the cultures of those things as well is is we would actually invite you don't just look at your psychological culture, look at your Look at your your safety culture as whole and how that touches on physical, psychological and social as, uh, as well. You know, if organisations want to understand, um, you know, what the experience of safety is like for people, you've got to look from a cultural point of view at all three um, because they need to be addressed in an integrated way as well. Where we can incorporate these three elements into um, a holistic view of workplace safety, we can start to, you know, we start to foster cultures of trust, um, resilience, collaboration, and inclusiveness, and creates a more sustainable um, success with respect to safety culture for the organisation as mm-hmm. whole, um, rather than seeing that the new regulations as a burden on top of what we're already doing with our health and safety system. So. To my earlier point, a lot of organisations, their health and safety systems are are very much anchored towards physical safety. And rather than just going, we'll just throw psychological on top of that, actually let's take the opportunity to integrate them uh, and look at what it looks like to improve upon them all, rather than just adding psychosocial on top of what we're already doing in the physical space as well. That is where organisations are gonna have the most success in this area as uh, as well. Now on on the flip side, um, where those aren't integrated, organisations aren't best placed uh, in terms of you know, preventing psychological injury, reducing workers' compensation, likewise absenteeism,
0: turnover and
1: improving the reputation is, is organisations risk this very sort of piecemeal approach to, um, to addressing safety rather than taking this holistic view of what health and safety looks like across the organisation. This is likewise where we start to get into conversations around, well, who owns safety? Um, you know the safety department traditionally has, but now HR is now going to have uh, a greater impact in this area legal and risk are the likewise as well and you know much like the model describes but in a different way the integration of those teams and how they're working to meet regulations but likewise integrate these three areas um is the is real opportunity for organizations and I'm excited to see organizations integrate these three into their strategy rather than Know, treating them separately um, or in different matters as well. So, again, I'm interested in, uh, in people's thoughts here is um, what are your current interventions primarily targeting? Are they targeting process and policies and risk assessments? Are they targeting environment, job design, resourcing, team member capability, capacity, leadership capability and capacity? Or are they targeting all of the above? What does that integration look like um, across all of those areas as well?
0: Thanks, Ben, we've got that running. Um, I realize you can't see anything, it's easy for me to forget that. Um, Okay, just a few more seconds. Thanks guys. Okay, so So where are your current interventions primarily targeting? Um, 57% process and policies and risk assessments. Um, Environment, job design, resourcing, just 4%. Team member capacity and capability, 7%. Leadership capability and capacity, 4%. All of the above, 29%. Thanks, Ben.
1: Wonderful. So, interesting to see, yeah, the, the uh, focus, uh, certainly um, some with all of the above, but quite a strong focus on process policies and, and risk assessments, and, and certainly um, that's a risk assessment place is a good place to start in terms of understanding, well, we need to understand what's going on in order to work out you know, what we're going to target or where we're going to target and, and what needs to be, although everything that can be done, what are those critical areas that we need to start with focusing as uh, as well. What's uh, what's interesting, and we'll, we'll jump onto the next slide here, um, where you can see our safety culture model. Um, so, one other comment I'll make on that is, is, not a lot of focus as yet on what that leadership and capability, leadership capability and capacity looks like, as uh, as well. What's interesting around that space, and, and you know certainly the legislation, you know, sort of um, does to explore this as uh, as as well, is that executive support. Um, commitment and um, their demonstration uh, for what a psychosocial safety system is um, is called out as best best practice. So, so in, sh- in short, leaders need to be playing a critical role in how best we set our safety culture or safety up to success within our organisations. Um, and even you know from from the ISO guidelines I'm, I'm looking at a direct quality is that success of psychosocial risk management depends on commitment from all levels and function of the organization especially from top management so this model here is is what this model alludes to is if we're trying to create a physically psychologically and socially safe workplace where people can be well healthy and, and thrive uh, or you know, create a positive safety culture. Um, to use that terminology, uh, is these are the four things that an organisation needs to be working in. These are the four areas that an organisation needs to be exploring. You can see some of this in what we just uh, touched on in the in the previous poll here. Think of this model um, is a little bit like a four-legged chair. Is that an organisation needs to be considering all four areas uh, in, order to sit in order to set an organization's, um uh safety culture uh up for success uh with respect to physical psychological and social so for legged chair much like operating in the same way is that if you uh, have got one of those legs that's not working quite right the risk that the chair could fall over if you've got two of those legs that's you know not a bit wobbly or certainly one that's really loose your likelihood that the chair is going to fall over is much higher same with this model here is that we need to invest Appropriately and, and rightfully across leadership, person practices, and the environment components, in order to have a physically, psychologically, and socially safe uh, workplace. Uh, where we see organisations tend to go is they go heavily in the environment and the practices area. Um, we can see a little bit that in the poll. Largely, and, and it's, it's uh, fair yeah. enough in some degree, as uh, uh, they're easier. They're easier to target in those areas. Um, shifting the way people think and engage with their work and um, likewise shifting the way that leaders lead or trying to get leaders to do more of one thing or less of another thing it's a more complex thing to target however we know that those things are critically important uh, to drive the sort of uh, change in workplace culture that we want to try and generate as uh, as well um, and often when we see incidents play out in a workplace, whether they be physical incidents, psychological incidents, or certainly the combination of the two, in most of the time, most of the time, there's been some something in the person or the leadership component, often the leadership component that has fallen down. Um, so that leg of the chair has become wobbly and that's been one of the contributing factors to that incident uh, occurring as uh, as well. The psychosocial space, in particular, is is very dynamic. It's very complex. It Uh, requires a leader to be able to pick up on the nuances that their team members are experiencing and how they change from day to day. Different to what physical risk, uh, physical risks or physical safety might look like. Where, and I shared earlier, the consequences of falling off a, you know, working from ten meter high is going to be the same for everyone, whatever height that might be. Whereas for a uh, in a psychosocial context, it's going to be different for different individuals. So leadership uh, and at all levels need the capability to lead um, a psychosocially safe workplace. But within that, they also need to be able to pick up on how to do that differently for different team members, just as much as uh, as well. Uh, talking to a slightly different construct uh, in terms of psychological safety, uh, but um, is a. Uh, is one of the things that I, I think really um, jumps out in this space here is that uh, the, the, and from Amy Edmondson, which I'm sure many people have, have uh, heard of, is not surprisingly the most important influence on psychological safety is the nearest boss. Uh, and to probably extend that just slightly, the biggest influence on psychosocial safety is the nearest leader. Uh, and, and certainly our research has found that as, uh, as well as, as we look at Um, Safety leadership, and safety leadership is a little bit different to what leadership looks like um, more generally, where you have a combination of both transactional and transformational leadership skills. And and on the left-hand side, you'll see the model that we use to um, help understand and and, uh, assess uh, a leader's competencies across the skills that are needed to be an effective safety leader. And what we find is that the effectiveness in the safety leader has the biggest influence across all of those different dimensions on wellbeing climate. Uh, and the strength of that relationship is very strong, uh, actually, compared to what that might look like around communication, how errors are managed, um, you know, what it looks like in terms of contractor safety relationships, team safety climate. The wellbeing climate is, uh, is very, very heavily influenced by a leader's uh, direct role as well. Um, research actually finds that um, uh, it's about half, about 50% of the variance in safety climate scores uh, is driven by leadership. Um, so, the way leaders prioritise, the way they communicate about safety in the workplace, the level of trust employees um, have in leaders, and the extent to which leaders support wellbeing is the biggest determinant of an employee's mental health. Um, much more so than their work demands, their job controls, and social support that might be in place as, uh, as well. I can't emphasise this enough, and I could uh, go on about it until to am blue in the face. Leadership is such a critical capability in how organisations are going to create a thriving, psychosocially safe workplace uh, as uh, as well. They have the ability, and to put it very bluntly, to, to make or break it uh, in, uh, in many regards also. Where, where the opportunity exists here is, is you're going to likely find a lot of... Um, frames that exist um, by leaders and and, you know the opportunity is how we go about shifting those frames. Um, The challenge that uh, a lot of stakeholders such as yourselves are likely to find, I'm sure you already have as uh, as well, is that um, from a physical safety point of view most leaders uh, can see that um, putting the right protections in place, the right support, the right resources, tools, the right leadership support in place is is needed for um, physical risks. We spoke earlier on around the invisible nature of some of the psychological risks. Uh, that's where we're seeing more leaders perhaps have some objections around this space and certainly some of the older school leaders and, and somewhat ironically slash frustratingly is often the leaders that need to shift their leader ca- leadership capability are the ones that have the most objections to this space. And even a leader I was talking to recently that, you know, throwing out frames like, you know, people are paid to do a job. They just need to do a job. Uh, that's all they should expect from their workplace. And you should sort of bow your head a little bit instead sort of frustration to go. It's, uh, we've, we've advanced so much beyond that um, to, uh, you know, to some of those very old, old styles of thinking about a workplace. Um, there's much more than organisation needs and now legislatively needs to provide for their people as, uh, as well. So whilst, um, you know, whilst an organisation or the regulations require an organisation to start with a systemic um, approach to how they um, eliminate or reduce risk, and certainly that's what we would invite the owners. There's, there's a large onus on the leaders to actually identify um intervene and, and address risks um, in in a clear uh, in a clear way, and re- requires a big shift in in a leader's mindset, uh, their capacity, and their capability uh, to be able to do so as uh, as well. So I spoke earlier on before, and leaders needing to really be able to adapt to their individuals um, is the way they um, you know will create a psychosocially safe workplace for their team members. They could have two direct reports. They might need to approach those two direct reports differently in how they create a psychosocially safe workplace. Um, we go back to some of the hazards listed uh, early on before as an example. Um, and, you know, one of those, um, you know, let's take one of the hazards as an example. Let's take isolated work or a motor isolated work. you can have two team members and one person actually finds isolated work or remote work to be quite a positive experience for them and actually builds um, their wellbeing and health. Now, likewise, you can find someone else, another direct report, who actually finds that really challenging uh, and that creates quite an stressful experience for them at work. Uh, you can't necessarily, you can to a degree, but you know, a systematic approach or a, or a process or a policy approach is not going to fully address that the onus is very much on the leader to be able to pick up on how exposure to that hazard is influencing those two uh, direct team members um, differently. You can imagine what this looks like as you start to, uh, you start to, to build that out to more people and exposure to more, to more risks, uh, sorry, more hazards as, uh, as as well. One of the things we, we want to offer and, and, um, you know, there's different tools and there's different frameworks around here is, is leaders don't necessarily need to have all, all the answers mm-hmm. um, but they need to have the capability and some of the tools and you know, there'll be leaders that say oh this isn't my job I'd, I would actually probably invite that if you accept the role or the responsibility of a leader absolutely this is also your responsibility this is now part of and now legislatively part of your role as a leader as uh, as well is some questions that were pulled together here um, to help leaders have these conversations uh, with people and, and to check in. Uh, and again, leaders don't need to know all the answers, but they need to be able to recognise that something's not quite right here, um, or this person certainly isn't thriving, perhaps and in some instances not surviving, to borrow that language. Uh, we need to do something differently in creating a um, better positive safety culture uh maps generally but certainly for this individual here and manage those psychosocial risks uh so there's there's different tools and there's different frameworks around there's a resource you can you can access from our website here as well these six questions um really uh we've put together to help leaders have some of these really daunting and uncomfortable conversations Um, and to get to the bottom of this without you know at the bottom of what might be happening Without you know conducting a full risk assessment, you know of the of the fourteen different psychosocial hazards as uh, as well, um, they also tap into the requirements of the regs to to take a, a trauma informed approach to understanding a person's previous experience or exposure to these risks, and the interplay of personal factors outside of work as well, which which is an important consideration also. So the first question there is around you know how do you feel about your job lately? Is there anything happening at work that could be um, you know, causing causing stress or creating a stressful experience? Are there any issues going on in your personal life that could be influencing how you feel um, or the interplay between personal and work life as well? Uh, have you been through anything tough recently or in the past that might be making it harder for you to cope now? Or, or do you have enough support from co-workers, from yourself, other leaders if something comes up or, or for the current challenge? Are there any safety concerns in the workplace that need to be addressed? And highlighting that both physical or, or psychosocial uh, concerns in the workplace as well. What what these questions invite is a, a deeper conversation that, that empowers leaders to engage in these conversations and, and have that um, have that more holistic approach rather than just a, a psychosocial... Um, it, it's supporting a psychosocial risk management system without... Um, it being uh, Abby spoke to the EAP uh, in a deference, which you know that response just in itself can actually create some some stress as uh, as well in, in some contexts. So it's equipping leaders with the skills to have the conversation, and importantly, and a key part to stress to your leaders. Is recognising there's support, partly support, but likewise there's the part where you recognise that okay, I actually need to now refer to or bring in you know the support of HR and then likewise you know EAP providers, psychologists, you know medical professionals uh, in that domain as well. Um, that leaders don't have to have all the answers; they just need to be there to to help um, people um, be able to verbalise and then recognise that um, they're going through a challenging time. Uh, and you know start the uh, start the support that's needed and appropriate from that point as uh, as well the next one is um, I want to touch on just before we, we do finish up is um, I've touched on the critical role that leaders play in building that capability as uh, as well um, leadership programs will do this to an extent um coaching is going to be really supportive in that because leaders are going to be equipped with these tools and resources for how they might prompt conversation but how do they apply that to the nuances to different team members to different contexts at different contexts rather um under stress you know through periods of high demand um come back to my earlier point leaders can be the thing that makes or breaks that Um, And so really developing your leadership capability to create a psychosocially safe workplace is going to be absolutely critical as well as doing more of that systematic uh, change as well. Likewise, individual change uh, as well. Leaders create that environment and seeing organisations probably, um, you know, they'll roll out wellbeing programmes or resilience programmes and, you know, they'll do that once a year. You do those things more frequently, but just doing those things is akin to yeah, taking a goldfish out of a fish tank, giving it a giving it a polish, and then throwing it back into the the dirty fish tank water is—you've got to actually shift the environment that people are operating within. Leaders have a have a huge impact on what that looks like as uh, as well. Moving uh, more to okay, well, what does that systemic change look like as uh, as well? Is is I'm sure a lot of you and going back to one of the earlier polls before is—is is there's a lot of opportunities in this space and. and I'm sure what's needed is can be a little bit daunting uh, for some people as uh, as well. Um, from from our experience, and we you know, the psychosocial space is not a new space. it's just being probably um, just articulated in a different way and certainly through legislati- uh, legislations. Uh, from our experience, ch- change is often created from the inside out, and that's looking at what is an organisation currently doing well with their existing culture, their existing systems, processes, leadership, as well, and looking at how do we build upon that, but then likewise, what might be the opportunities that we need to address as, uh, as well? And not not trying to do everything uh, at once, certainly, but looking at where are those things that are gonna have the most impact on creating the sort of thriving positive safety culture that we want to as, uh, as well. Um, so the starting place is, is gather data. Is, uh, you know, that might be starting with, you know, internal HR, safety and engagement data, um, likewise, it might be you know working with uh, working with a provider, you know there's different surveys around, but or certainly culture surveys as well, climate surveys also to understand, well, what's the current state of play? if what are our strengths that we can build upon, but what are those opportunities that we might need to address as uh, as well? And then looking at how you might benchmark yourself. So, in this space internal benchmarking is uh often more useful or valuable certainly as a starting point than external benchmarking of that data Um, we often find organizations go how do we compare to other organizations yeah yeah, that's helpful data you actually want to compare different parts of your organization because that shows okay now this business unit is really struggling with xyz or they're being exposed to this hazard quite regularly Uh, we need to do something differently in that space Um, it can get that sort of insight can get a little bit lost in, in external benchmarking. Um, likewise, then looking at a solution and using that data to help formulate a strategy, a solution that targeters targets, targets um, the, the critical parts of your organizations, so the areas that are needed uh, that need most addressing. Um, don't focus as I mentioned before, just on on the person within the system. And go, we just roll out a resilience program, or the you know the bowl of fruits, or gym memberships. Yeah, those things are all well and good. But you you know they they can be um, uh, certainly there can be a focus there on, on your tertiary interventions, but also looking at your primary and secondary interventions as well. And, and certainly from a, a systematic or holistic lens, uh, also. Um, Part of this is looking at what's achievable. Um, there's a number of strategy workshops I've delivered where we're going to do these 24 things, and we're going to get 20 of done in Q1. It's uh, it's it's not achievable, and then it it starts to actually disengage the organisation from that change as uh, as well. So so only commit to what can actually be done, and focus on what those actions need to be. Uh, what what's going to have the most value in terms of creating that positive safety culture as, uh, as well there's the combination of the quick wins but likewise the bigger projects um, is not necessarily you know those things that they might be nice to have or so they you know it's a lot of expended energy for not much value necessarily at this point in time anyway as, uh, as well the other uh, the other part to that is then looking at well now what do we want to add uh, sorry what are we going to add? Critically, what do we want to improve upon? Is it's you know, and we spoke before and in the integration of physical, psychological, and social. Is is not just going look. We're going to um, uh, we're going to you know, add this, or we're going to add this, and we're going to add that on top of what we already do. What are we doing well that we can expand upon into that full, um, you know, three-dimensional approach to safety? Yeah, if we're managing, you know, this element of how we do physical safety, really, go well, okay. Well, how can we broaden that to how we actually manage, psychosocial like safety as well? If that works well for our organisation, uh, also, that um, uh, that reflection on what's in its human nature, that reflection on what's actually working well, is that is a critical consideration, and uh, just as much also. Um, the other part to this is, is it's not a set and forget. Um, you know, culture is a dynamic thing. Um, positive safety culture is a dynamic thing. Psychosocial so space is physical you know, safety is the combination integration of those things is, is uh, it's a dynamic space and so you need to keep your finger on the pulse. What's the scoreboard that we're looking at that helps gives us an insight? And not just you know the lead metrics, but the lead, mat, lead metrics in terms of where our focus is. What are the things we need to be doing more of, less of, tweak? How are we going with our interventions? Are they hitting the mark as uh, as well? Uh, and the big part in this is um, is celebrating the wins along that way, along the way, and recognising the work that might still need to be uh, to be done as uh, as well. From this process is showing um, showing progress is the critical part, so that the commitments that you make is likewise. All uh, or the organisational team members need to see that actually making traction and recognising that yes, there's still other areas that need to be done, but here's where we're making traction. Otherwise. Uh, you know, And those that, that familiar with the model of complex change um, is that where people don't see the change, they quickly start to disengage with what that looks like. And you know, this psychosocial space is such a critical space that we've got to take the time to invest to make sure that we do get that right. One of the things I will call out just before we do wrap up as well is, is um, gathering the data and having some, some insight, and that can be a combination of climate or cultural surveys, you know, risk assessment tools, et cetera, et cetera. Other, other data sources as well, it's not so much about the individual data sources as it is the narrative or story between those data sources, is using that data to help form a strategy is really critical. Uh, It's that piece that is the difference between those organisations that want to have an impact um, versus those that want to be seen just to be doing something. Um, Really easy to put something in place to make it look like you're doing something. It's the data process and and making sure that there's an evidence-based approach to what you're doing um, is the critical part to making sure that you're actually creating long-term and sustainable change in this space as well. Uh, so wrapping uh, up, otherwise I'll uh, I'll keep going and uh, you will know, have to cancel the dinner plans. Um, we we'll touched on a few things. Is one is is looking at how do we shift range and increase awareness around what this psychosocial space is. Um, one of our clients actually, um, I, I love the language that they use where they've actually shifted away to now looking at how well do we understand how people experience work and people are really engaged with that notion as well. And I think that's just a really good way to capture what psychosocial safety is. Um, leading by example and expectations, uh, we spoke about um, you know a leadership's role in that. Likewise, as stakeholders here, safety, HR, legal and risk, whatever it might be, what does it look like to lead by example? And particularly from the board and executive level, they play a critical role, as we touched on, in driving this space. And if you've got you know trying to create uh, an inclusive workplace, you know, and you know with appropriate behaviours as uh, as is part of this psychosocial landscape, if that's not being demonstrated by the board, as an example, by executive. here, yeah, that's the starting place, because uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, it's all gonna, it's it's not going to be sustainable. Long and short of it, building leadership capability and capacity. We spoke about um, and encouraging input and providing support. Is consulting with people um, is uh, is is also really important um, of what it looks like to to create or mold what a psychosocial experience looks like for people in the workplace as uh, as well. And um, the importance of consulting is, is really, really key throughout this also. Um, creating a psychos- psychologically safe workplace, that's more than a policy or program. It takes a culture of respect, trust, and accountability. And um, this is just such a fabulous quote that uh, really encompasses a dynamic space. But it's a really exciting space um, for organisations to really create you know, some really uh, thriving, safe, healthy, well-workplaces where... Uh, where the organisation, but likewise the the people, can get uh, a lot out of the work they they do, and importantly, see the number of people that uh, are finding work positively impacts their wellbeing uh, is increasing from the uh, the one third that we spoke to earlier on before. Um, for those that are interested, um, we are running a masterclass in uh, psychosocial safety uh, coming up, where we'll unpack a little bit of this, but likewise we'll unpack. Uh, some things in some more detail, particularly around the role of leadership uh, in uh, in creating a psychosocially safe workplace as uh, as well. Um but for me, uh, look, thank you very much, everyone for dialing in. Apologies about the technical uh, challenges, but I'm glad we're all able to jump on the uh, jump on the call here. Um, I, I'm really energized i'm I'm fascinated by this space. It's such a, a wonderful opportunity with these legislative changes coming in uh, here and certainly happy to jump on any calls or respond to any questions or messages that may come through um, to uh, to support people in their journey as well.
0: Great. Thank you, Ben, and yeah, thanks for coping with the rocky start and also to all the audience that were very supportive with the uh, little bit of today. So we have a couple of um, questions and and by the way, the information was fantastic. Um, Ben, Uh, Braid has asked um, Ben and team, we've had a few staff leave and I have a challenge getting our MD to even understand psychosocial issues we have those staff return but it's probably due to other alternatives being worse in New Zealand. Um, Ben, did you hear that?
1: Uh, sorry, I did. I put myself on mute. Um, uh, yeah, I can see the uh, the comment there as well. Um, probably... Yeah, I, I think um, you know, getting uh, executives, and there's another question there around, um, you know, the senior team don't want to ask the question, um, is what we're seeing a lot of organisations ask for um, and what we're providing a lot of is, is board sessions, which is around getting them to understand their responsibilities, and roles in this, and, and I think particularly at a board level, um, yeah, they, uh, yeah, if, if there is a serious incident the psychological space, they're actually going to be the ones held to account uh, in, in, a, in a large part as well. So um, it's probably helping them understand that this is not, as uh, we hear many boards, MDs and leadership teams, leaders of all levels articulate um, that, you know, this... This psychology is the soft, the soft and, and fluffy stuff. Is we actually need to see uh, these legislative requirements are the right thing and a step in the right direction, and these are the requirements and what it looks like. But likewise, these are the impacts of it as well. Is and I think you know, looking at some of the cost data, looking at some of the return on investment data, um, but likewise looking at you know the, the presence of injury uh, and incidents for people as, uh, as well across workplaces coming back to an early point is looking at what different data is going to resonate with different uh, with different members of a leadership team or with a board as uh, as well um, is key remembering that those those leadership teams boards executive groups um, they're made up of people as well much like people across a workforce may have sort of different views on these things it's also aligning that group on what needs to be done or what the uh, what the challenges in front of them also as well is often they're not. Um, and for a few different reasons, they're not aware of actually how big a challenge this might be for their organisation.
0: Um, Sue also asks, which you may have answered, what do you do when the senior team do not want to ask the question?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting one on um, whether it's the question around the questions I went through for, for a leader of psychosocial check-in or whether it's more around you know just entertaining a psychosocial space. Um, it was the. It was when uh, you were doing the check-in um, questions. Yeah, I. I uh, that's that's a really good question, actually. Um, I, I think part of it is understanding why people don't want to ask those questions. Often, it's a it's a it's a confidence thing. It feels like a daunting task. Sometimes, probably more rarely, is it where they they don't see the value in it. Um, and then I think it's probably you know more coaching you know and support. Whether that's driven by you know. Uh, you know, a external coach, whether that's driven by HR or the safety team as as well, to try and prompt and and understand why a leader might not be engaging that stuff. And it it can work for some, we're coming back to, you know, different people resonate with different data, but um, it might be um, really understanding what's holding someone back as a leader from prompting those conversations. And we can be quick to go, "These, these leaders, not, um, you know, asking the question because, you know, we feel it's X, Y, Z and they're not being a leader properly. They, as much as their team members, may be also experiencing, um, you know, different challenges. And so taking the time to listen and hear what's holding someone back from doing that and how they can be supported through it. Um, You know, there's there's no reason that a leader can't go and check in with one of their team members with the support of another leader, if that's positioned right. Um, That's a big part of it as, uh, as well. So... And I'm even reflecting on a session around with the leadership group last week. Actually, is is as an executive um, or as a stakeholder trying to facilitate this sort of culture is taking the time to listen and understand what's holding someone back uh, from that. So, you know, if, if a leader is saying I, I don't want to ask the uh, I don't want to ask the question because I'm not going to get a helpful response. It's almost sort of coaching, exploring that with that leader to go. Oh, can you can you tell me what you know? What sort of influence that you know that thinking, or why you know why you might feel that way? And you know they'll share and and taking the time just to listen from that leader and what's holding them back.
0: Okay, thank you, Ben. Um, There's not really uh, any more questions, but there are a lot of com- comments and and just for your feedback too. Um, some great information. This is regarding the webinar. Thanks, Ben, really informative. Thank you, that was brilliant from Keeley. Um, thank you, Ben, very well presented. Great info from Ian. And um, Braid says, thanks, Ben. Yes, the data will be a good buy-in as a motivator. And Rhonda, <clears throat> sorry, Rhonda says, we need to be mindful that our leaders are also under a lot of pressure and their psychological mm. health and safety is a consideration too. And Ken says, Kevin says, great presentation, a long way to go here to achieve greatness. Um, so yeah, uh, it, there's a, just one more anonymous one question. We have to remember that psychological, psychosocial risks are relatively new in business. We will need to do a lot of work in this area. So we have got, <clears throat> gone a little bit over time, so we will need to wrap it up. But Ben, that was um, fantastic. I might have a chat with Cassie about getting some of the stats for the news too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry
1: one comment I'll make is be comfortable as you start to push this more and more into, or position this more and more into your organisation with the executive board groups, is be comfortable rolling with the resistance um, in terms of how you do position it and recognise it's going to take people different lengths of time to get on board with it. So be comfortable rolling with the resistance um, to start facilitating the change that you want to as uh, as well. Yeah, that
0: sounds wonderful. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Cassie. Um, and thanks to all the audience for that lovely, warm support at the start with the issues. Okay. Thanks, um, everyone. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.